And welcome to another edition of Jackman Radio, special uh, Sunday broadcast. Uh, I'm very excited today. We are joined by researcher extraordinaire, Mr. Adam Fitzgerald. Adam, how are you doing today, man? Oh, thank you very much, Mike. I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming on. I know it was kind of short notice, but um, man, this stuff with Saudi Arabia has been in the news, and I really wanted to talk to somebody about it who who who's you know up on it and has been looking into it. So yeah, this week we saw... Uh, President Biden going over to, um, I believe, Israel, Saudi Arabia, and the West Bank. What uh, what do you make of his trip over to Saudi Arabia to meet with uh, bin Salman? There's a lot to uh, discuss here because there's so much uh, um, at stake, especially with the recent um, inflation crisis that the United States is currently under. And this can only mean that uh, the United States State Department is under intense pressure, even from the centrist left who are the ardent supporters of the Democratic Party, um, are starting to feel the news tightening as we enter the uh, election process for the House and Senate coming up in the next couple of months. Um, Biden basically made the assertion even months previous to this uh, visit to the, the Gulf that um, Saudi Arabia needed to produce more oil. And uh, this was last year. and. This elicited a response by Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, the next in line for the uh, kingship of the uh, two holiest sites of Islam, Mecca Medina, where he basically responded in kind, saying that the United States is not uh, the only country that's in need of oil. We will not be producing uh, more oil uh, for just the United States. And weeks later, more documents came out about uh, the uh, FBI investigation regarding it to 9-11, where you had an, an enormous amount of unclassified files showing that Saudi Arabia was indeed uh, financing two terrorists with 9-11. So fast forward to uh, this week, where basically Biden, uh, along with Anthony Blinken, Secretary of State, visited the Gulf, especially with Crown Prince bin Salman, where he gave the infamous fist bump to a war criminal in Mohammed bin Salman for his uh, direct uh, involvement with the, you know, the, the most uh, existential crisis in the world, which is the Yemen uh, war, not Ukraine. Right. And hey, at least, at least this time there was somebody there to shake hands with and fist bump with, and not just midair. Yeah. Right. I mean, well, the, <laughs> sorry to interrupt. I had to get that one in there. Right. The running joke is that uh, you know he didn't want to shake hands with. A war criminal. Meanwhile, Biden himself is a war criminal anyway for allowing the sales of weapons to uh, Saudi Arabia and the Gulf, uh, to Bahrain, United Emirates. Um, but the main course of uh, the discussion was about um, uh, oil production. And I'm pretty sure another topic of discussion, which is not going to be um, at the forefront, is, of course, the Iran problem. And this is basically why he also visited uh, Israel in its own right. I mean, it is only one reason why that he would visit Israel and Saudi Arabia, and it's not about oil. It's basically about Iran, and I think that's the looming crisis that is over, hanging over everyone's head uh, in the Middle East right now, because that's the only war that wasn't entertained in the last 20 years. Um, with this as well, the crisis in Yemen and about the broken promise by the Biden administration, one of the very first things he ran on uh, in uh, 2020 was that one thing he was going to uh, bring up was that we are going to negotiate uh, a lack of weapons uh, sales or weapons agreements with Saudi Arabia 
And in the very first week he was holding an office, he basically committed to the largest financial aid deal to uh, Saudi Arabia about, I think it was $1 billion or $1.1 billion weapons uh, aid to Saudi Arabia, which went directly to, um, to fight against the Houthis in Yemen. And this is the biggest crisis in the world. Nothing comes close. Uh, I think right now, approximately, if we're going by uh, the um, Amnesty International numbers, it's well over 650,000 that are dead. And it's a, uh, 8, 8% of those deaths are children, basically. And there's also um, uh, a sanctions on the country itself, which in turn is also a uh, declaration of war. Uh, but it won't be um, reported through the legacy media here in the United States. No, they'll, they'll basically say that Iran is the biggest exporter of terrorism, and that's the reason why uh, the Yemen's or uh, the Houthis in Yemen, who are basically getting the weapons from Iran to defend the whole entire country from this draconian monarchy empire in Saudi Arabia. And so Biden is basically uh, groveling to the crown prince because he knows that they are the real power in terms of producing oil. It doesn't matter whether the United States is threatening Saudi Arabia with um, additional unclassified documents 9-11 because it would hurt the United States anyway in return in doing that. But needless to say, you have other competitors as well who are vying for power in oil production, and that is Russia and China. And basically right now, what is the United States at war with? Well, we're at war with Russia. Even though we don't show it, we're basically funding these right-wing separatist groups like the Azov Battalion and the Ukrainian nationalists that are in these uh, cities in Ukraine. And according to Bloomberg News, uh, which was uh, uh, early, reported earlier this year, they have no idea where these weapons are going. And we're sending billions of dollars. It's, I mean, we're producing mass amounts of money. Meanwhile, we're going through a financial crisis in return. So every dollar that's produced is adding more to the crisis. And who is Biden blaming? Well, they're blaming Russia. And of mm -hmm. course, they have yeah. to because that's exactly who we're going to war with. On the other hand, you have the Republicans who are basically saying, this is a war we don't need, but we need a war with China at the same mm -hmm. time. So it, there is no uh, real um, hegemony when it comes to the left and right. So no matter what, it, whoever wins in November of 2022 regarding the House and Senate, and I happen to think the red is definitely taking over both, um, what's going to happen is we're going to shift, to see a, a gradual shift of those weapons and the sales to Ukraine over to the bases that are surrounding China. And maybe, just maybe, what I think in my horrifying um, declaration is that uh, we won't engage in a full war with China. We'll have a proxy war and we'll have two proxy wars at the same time. But I do believe, and this is, you know, take this a grain of salt, I do believe the full scale war that we will see is Iran. Is Iran. And it's basically pressure from not not just the Gulf, but from Israel, the most powerful uh, political lobby. But the finances, the financing uh, is coming from the Gulf. That's where the money is coming from. Israel is basically a very poor country in return. But the money, the money, uh, when it comes to financing, it's Saudi Arabia. And that's why I think the United States is going to appease everything that was held in this meeting earlier this week with the county, uh, the kingdom, and the consulate that were there. And I think. Um, one reporter actually uh, blurted out, uh, are you going to um, uh, talk about the Khashoggi murder? And you could see uh, basically Ben Salman, and I think it was um, 
uh, not Joubert, but somebody from the Foreign Affairs Ministry basically smirking, uh, knowing full well that they're not going to answer that. They're not going to basically uh, talk about uh, anything remotely uh, regarding the Khashoggi murder. And incidentally enough, Biden basically said through the media, I don't know if this is true or not, but Biden said he did blame Bin Salman for the murder of Khashoggi. I can't imagine him saying that in front of his face. And so no, I think what's going to happen from this on, we're going to see a gradual shift as soon as the Republicans take over both the House and Senate. I'll be completely shocked if the Democrats are basically winning either one. I, I think they destroyed whatever momentum they have with these uh, with the latest in Ukraine, the inflation crisis and the COVID mandates, which basically destroyed small business owners in return. And I think they just had enough. And I think there's going to be a big voting backlash, especially from uh, middle-aged, uh, um, even uh, people within the 50 to 60 brackets are going to come out in droves and basically uh, uh, go with um, the Republicans in this in this endeavor. And, I, you know, I think that what will happen, you'll see an alleviation of the mandates when it comes to COVID, but we're going to see a, a swing uh, to uh, China and Iran. And you're seeing it already in, you know, Tucker Carlson and um, um, I forgot the name of the other uh, woman. Um, um, I, I'm sorry, the name is Casey, where they're basically talking about how China is a threat, a financial threat to the United States. And they're no On threat. Fox, Laura, Laura Ingram. Um, yes, I'm sorry. That's right. Lauren. Is it Laura Ingram? Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. But no, we're going to, I think what will happen is we'll see a swing shift to, uh, uh, China instead of Russia and that will fizzle down. And already we're seeing, um, uh, the, uh, Ukraine crisis basically dwindle when it comes to the global attention. The only thing that's giving it attention is basically the hard, hard left. And they are basically not being supported by even their own democratic leftist supporters. And I think that's, I think we're going to see a swing shift. Yeah. And I think the intercept reported on a moment during the meetings between uh, president Biden and bin Salman, where, uh, you know, the prince kind of chastised Biden uh, mm -hmm. about being more concerned with uh, Khashoggi's death than uh, um, the journalist that was killed by the IDF or the Israeli forces. Um, that was uh, Shireen. And, yes, uh, that's. I mean, it's a, he made a good point, but he's also deflecting, of course, because there's so, yeah, so much to go over just in the few minutes there. The subjects you mentioned, um, I did want to talk about Yemen because you know, like I agree with you, that is the biggest human rights uh, crisis and, and war and starvation, and and uh, it's just awful, and it's not covered in the legacy media every night. People, most people don't even know about it. More people are more concerned about Ukraine, and obviously that's an awful situation too. Um, but even around here, I, I live in a very, uh, very liberal town in New Hampshire, mm -hmm. and the Ukraine flags are starting to fade. I got to say, they're literally the the sun is is uh, you know it's fading on it. So, um, but I think the Democrats and a lot of the party activists are very angry about what happened with Roe v. Wade. Um, the mm -hmm. Democrats had had so many years to uh, codify that and um, do something about it. They haven't done anything about that. They haven't done anything with health care. Um, there's no real student loan. Um, relief for young people, uh, everything that they've promised and, and campaigned on, they haven't done. So they're, they're now just trying to fundraise and tell their supporters, if you vote harder, you know, you're going to get what you want. And, and people are, don't believe that anymore. Then people are like, this is, this is BS. We don't buy this. So it's good to see that a lot of, a lot on the left are coming around on that.
being like, well, people like Schumer and Pelosi and all of these uh, partisan hacks who have been in there for far too long don't care about regular people. They don't they don't care about, you know, a young mother who's faced with a tough decision uh, or would be mother. They don't really care about those people. They don't care about the troops. They don't care about kids starving in Yemen. It's all about, you know, stocks and making money and, uh, you know, power. So, yeah, you're going to see it go red. But I think I agree. Uh, you're going to see more of a China, a focus on China if it goes completely red. Yeah, we're seeing a, a, a failure in two folds. One is domestic and one is foreign. I think the Biden administration failed in both endeavors. Um, there was very, very little in terms of progress, but here is where it counts. And so what Biden should have done was address the economic issue, but he was faced with a COVID issue. And the only thing that he could have done was basically not lock down the country, so to speak. I think that's where he made his first mistake, not just with sending billions of aid in Saudi Arabia. But this was where it counted, because if he actually, I think, if he actually didn't have a lockdown, he probably could have saved himself. I, I That's just my opinion. Uh, but in terms of not, by destroying the small business owner in return, and what happened was, was that you turned to, you turned against the very voting base that supported you in terms of a crisis under the Trump administration, because that's when COVID started. And what they should have done was reverse the process. And instead, they expedited the process in return. And so they just basically, I mean, any type of real support was that and there was going to be real change under the Biden administration. But what did he do? He basically was recorded, heard saying nothing is going to fundamentally change. And so nothing really did. And he appeased to who? The corporation, the major corporations. That's who was saved during the the, the crisis of the COVID crisis when they gave billions and billions of dollars in these COVID relief packages to companies like Walmart and Target and all the big corporations. So what happened to mom and, you know, average Joe, Jim and Joe pop stores? Well, they had to close down because they didn't get much in the way of real uh, financial backing from the federal government. And in return, what did the Biden administration do? Well, they gave you $600 a month and said, yeah, that's enough for you. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and $30 million a day to the Ukraine. Right. But meanwhile, not, but, but not mean, really. Yeah. Right. You know where this is going, right? Because you, you basically saw an overwhelming vote for having billions sent in Ukraine. Meanwhile, there's no hesitation. But when it comes to domestic issues, there is a there is a dividing political line. But when it comes to global issues, when it comes to the Pentagon, when it comes to the Gulf, when it comes to Israel, there is no such thing as uh, bipartisan politics. There is just one entity. And that's just proof to you that there is no Republican Democratic line. There is one entity in the United States federal government. I, I keep telling this to people, but I mean, they're so, I guess, invested when it comes to their politics. And, it's, and yeah. they, they really believe that there is a left and right issue and that they do support the people. Well, though, I mean, if you need 2022 to have proof that they aren't for you, I mean, just take a look at the rest of history. They never were. And that's why we have the crisis is that we have now in the country as well as outside of it. And this is what we need to address. But if as long as we're still bickering over the mundane and trivial, we'll never mm -hmm. get the more important issues that you raise in your show. Yeah, that's what they want. They want everybody to be fighting each other and then they want, you know, uh, uh, blue versus red, um, mm -hmm. like a, like a, uh, you know, American gladiator uh, football stadium show on steroids with fireworks sponsored by Pepsi. And uh, for the most part, they got a lot of people in the bag with that. But I think with financially and when you hit, 
your average American where it hurts at the gas pumps or in their bottom dollar or their grocery bill. They're like, whoa, what the hell's going on here, man? I mean, maybe I should start paying attention to, uh, to this stuff. And uh, I think with that, more people are maybe susceptible to, to looking at, at the bigger picture, the fact that both parties have sold, uh, sold us out so long ago. Mm -hmm. And um, at least for me in my lifetime, and this is why I continuously talk about 9-11 um, and the war on terror and everything that's happened since then, it's just there was such a huge shift after that happened. And, you know, you can trace it back to the Patriot Act to diverting, um, you know, the people who were behind the attacks to then Iraq and everything that's happened ever since then. Um, I, I think I've really seen just a complete erosion um, in the morale of our country, uh, civil liberties, people, you know, people uh, wanting to speak up and say something, but being afraid to say it, even though they believe it in their hearts and uh, self-censorship. So I think there's more and more people who do care about these issues, but they maybe because of their jobs or because of, you know, feeling like they're going to get chastised by friends and family mm -hmm. or fear, they're not speaking out. But I don't know, this this whole deal is so short. I think we, <laughs> the short time we do have here, we should speak out and, and try and do something about it because it is kind of getting closer to midnight, it feels like, especially yeah. the last couple of years. Well, what, we're seeing, what we're basically seeing is a ripple effect from 9-11. That's why I became so invested with the, uh, the, the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001 is because it's not just like with the JFK assassination, you know, we basically knew that the federal government at some level was behind it along with the CIA, right? And then if there's any foreign involvement like Israel or something like that, uh, you know, uh, it wouldn't surprise. Nevertheless, September 11th is a much more broader issue. And what happens is everything that came from it to the present day right now is from that specific incident. And the incident itself didn't kill many people. Unfortunately, 3,000 people were killed. But more people have died on the after effects of September 11, 2001 than on the day itself. That's why I said everything that came from it is basically a ripple effect of 9-11 that you just previously mentioned. And many people aren't, I guess, realizing that effect. I mean, but, you know, with the war of Iraq, the war of Afghanistan, the war of in, the in, invasion of Libya, the forced invasion of Syria. All that is basically a, a, a ripple effect of yeah. the events of September 11, 2001. And the only thing that's left is Iran. And that's why this is such a, an important issue that hopefully we can get enough people to talk about these issues and then create a um, almost like a branch out effect of, of a backlash saying, hey, we don't want this and we don't need it. Yeah, exactly. And enough Americans being like, I don't want, I don't want our treasure, our troops, our, our blood, our money going towards this. And um, there's there was some report I didn't see what where it originated from, but saying that Iranian officials want to target ex presidents like Trump and, and Bush and other American leaders. And I'm sure there's entities within Iran who would love to do that after what happened to Soleimani a couple of years ago. Um, you know, that was the moment during Trump's presidency where I was the most worried that we were going to have some kind of war or some kind of um, you know, Gulf of Tonkin type thing that we couldn't walk back. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is part of the narrative. I think Iran might be the only country we haven't hit in the 18 or 19 years since that quote came out from uh, Wesley Clark. Mm. He named all those countries. Wasn't Iran one of them? Yeah, Iran, well, yes, it was. And by the way, Iran would pose a more formidable uh, threat, unlike uh, Iraq, which was basically destroyed from sanctions even from the first Gulf War. So they weren't really a threat. And neither was right. uh, Syria and Libya. I mean, they, they basically don't have the necessary defense to stave off not just the United States, but the coalition behind it. 
And so, you, you know, you have, when you have Australia, Germany, France right behind it, there's no, there's no threat. Iran does have a formidable army. Mm-hmm. Iran definitely does have a formidable navy. And the generals basically uh, under the uh, Obama administration basically didn't entertain that. And that's why Obama, under the Obama, the one thing he didn't do, thankfully, was that he didn't invade uh, Iran because he it wrote in his memoirs later that he didn't want to be responsible and known for Iraq 2.0. Even though, I mean, he'll be remembered forever for Syria and Libya and, you know, uh, funding Afghanistan, keeping that going. And, you know, the continuation of the Bush wars and wars that he created as well. Mm -hmm. But that's why he fell out with Israel. And Benjamin Netanyahu even mentions this, that the the most unpopular president president since Carter was uh, Obama because he didn't he wasn't pressured under uh, Israel to invade Iran, even though I think uh, Netanyahu went to the United Nations and you know, drew that cartoonish outline about new, Iran's so close to building a nuclear bomb. Even if Iran built a nuclear bomb, they if they used it, it would be suicide because you would have a direct response from who? From the United States and the coalition. Right. The country would be destroyed if they ever used it. And Israel, I think, you know, um, if we're going to believe uh, the whistleblower, uh, Mordecai Vanunu, who basically says that Israel themselves has about maybe 60 to 80 uh, nuclear mm. weapons. And we right. don't know because they're the only country that doesn't allow um, uh, an outside uh, entity to uh, investigate, you know, how many weapons they have and for good measure. And then they wrote a book about this called the Samson Option. But nevertheless, I mean, this was a war that was basically trying to be pushed by not just the Gulf, you know, because they want to see it as the, you know, because that's a Shia country. But Israel is a major uh, pusher behind Iran. And basically, my fear is that if DeSantis wins, and I think he's gonna. And um, if he wins the presidency, which I think he's gonna, is that he definitely will entertain that, that battle. Ooh, yeah, I, I think he's got a real shot, man. I think a lot of people are, are in Magaland are, th- are thinking about DeSantis. He's uh, uh, 30 years younger than Trump. You know, he's um, learned the lessons from the four years under Trump of what not to do, but to carry the you know carry the message forward and the. Uh, the red meat and the and the you know he's got the right amount of troll too. He's got a little troll in him that likes to fight and likes to poke uh, poke back at the media and, and all the woke nonsense. But um, yeah, larger picture, man, that is really scary to think about, man. A clash with with Iran is not that is like it's so beyond crazy that I can't even believe that even people in our military would want to entertain that, you know, because it's we're so spread thin as it is, and when we have. Uh, almost a thousand bases in 180 plus, you know, countries. And um, I think even people in the military would, would, would tell you, we can't do this. We don't want to do it. Um, but yeah, there's, there's all those special interests that, you know, want us to do that. Obviously people who are, you know, like, like-minded, like Netanyahu, um, like Neil Khan's here in this country, like John Bolton, um, you know, so the next Republican administration who gets in there, I wouldn't be surprised if they bring in uh, somebody like, you know, um, Bolton or Elliot Abrams or, uh, you know, Wolfowitz or Bremer or, you know, a Cheney, you know, someone from that school. I mean, Liz Cheney, she might even have a shot at being on the ticket, you know? Yeah, remember also, too, if, if we do entertain this battle, it will not just be Iran, but the countries that are, are allied to Iran, like Lebanon, Syria, for example. And this is the reason why we're cutting off that uh, chain link between Lebanon and Iran. Uh, as long as we control the oil fields in Damascus, we can basically circumvent any link with uh, any type of aid between Lebanon and Syria and to Iran. 
And this is the reason why we're going against the ever notice why we're against these countries. Meanwhile, we're not invading the country that gave us this, this terrorist to begin with, which is basically Saudi Arabia and the Gulf. And that's where most of these adherents like uh, Jaysh al-Islam or uh, Islamic State, um, Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, these are all Wahhabists. And where do Wahhabists come from? Not from Iran, not from Lebanon, but from Saudi Arabia and the Gulf. That's where they're coming from. That's the whole essence of Saudi Arabia, which is Wahhabism, uh, which created the first Saudi state, which is called the Emirate of Dadiya, and which later was renamed to Saudi Arabia. And basically, this is the reason why we had most of the terrorist attacks in the 80s and 90s uh, throughout the world, especially against U.S. interests, was, was from the essence of Saudi Arabia, which is Wahhabism. And basically what we should have done if we had any um, real, um, I guess, uh, moral fortitude was basically become allies to Iran, to Lebanon. To Syria, and who were Libya. against right Wahhabism and against you know forces like Al Qaeda. Right, exactly right. I, I mean, that, Saddam, Saddam right, was right. not he was not aligned with Al Qaeda, but seventy percent Americans would have thought so around two thousand four, which, you know, right, they didn't know any better. But now that yeah. they you know they're a little bit more learned about the subject, yeah, we could definitely show that hey, look, you know, Saudi Arabia is actually funding these uh, you know ghoulish uh, groups that are basically conducting these terrorist attacks. And I think what's going to happen, and I think what's happening now is we're seeing that a repeat of Afghanistan 1979 with Ukraine, where we're sending all these uh, billions of dollars of weapons aid to these right-wing separatists. And that uh, we did this with Operation Cyclone, the, the CIA operation in Afghanistan, where we sent billions, uh, millions and millions of dollars through the Pakistan ISI to these Mujahideen rebels who later on became the enemy. I think there's a, a good quote. I don't know who said it, but if you want to find out who tomorrow's enemies are, find out who we're funding today. And that's exactly right, right? So I'm not saying that we're going to go to war with right-wing separatists of neo-Nazis, you know, but maybe, just maybe, you know, that, that that entity could grow and these weapons basically could foment groups that are basically going to cause a problem somewhere in the future. Yeah, it'll come back to bite us in the butt. Exactly. And right. it's, it's almost like we haven't learned anything, you know, since 9-11. Well, maybe, maybe we're just having a, a, a constant state of war which is what was written in 1984 by Orwell, was war was not meant to be won. It was meant to be continuous. And right. this only, this only benefits you know, to the coppers like LG3 Technologies or Boeing or Raytheon and um, you know, other private military industrialists like uh, Blackwater, which goes by, what is it now, Academy? Or they always change their name every year. because They've you know, done some, some rebranding, yeah. They, they, yeah. they put exactly. lipstick on it. It's still a pig. Yeah, that's right. That's that's <laughs> it's a still point. a pig. But yeah, yeah, and the thing with Ukraine, I mean, we've we've had intelligence forces over there, so it, I, I would call it a proxy war. But I mean, it's hot in the sense that we do have advisors, or um, you know, whether it's CIA or whatever alphabet agency, we do have intelligence forces on the ground, or you know, near near at, at um, aligned bases nearby that are training and arming the forces in the Ukraine. Like they've even had to admit that in the last couple months. Yeah, and look. Um... With 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 I think what I think is going to happen, and uh, will with the uh, a new concentration on a new face, a new enemy, is that we will not be addressing the points that Biden allegedly has made to the Saudi Kingdom in this week's uh, meet, and also too I think I believe he actually visited um, not just uh, Israel, but he also visited uh, I want to say oh it, it escapes Bank? me. Or yeah, I think so. Um, 
this is definitely going to be uh, a topic in regards to, and by the way, one topic that's not going to be discussed is 9-11, basically. So that's going to be, don't even talk about that, yeah. which he should have if, if he had any moral fortitude. Yeah, I mean, but, that's been no. in the news big time, too, though, with these, and we can talk about this after, but Terry Strada, who represents oh, over 9,000 yeah. 9-11 family members, has been in the news big time talking about um, the LIV golf stuff that's been going on. We, we can. Yes. Sorry, uh, if you, I'm sorry. I wouldn't make your point. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. No, not at all. And this is, but it's very important to discuss. And I want to dissuade from the topic at hand. But yeah, the, let's talk about the golf tournament. It's actually the LIV golf tournament, and the LIV is actually a reference to the Roman numeral of 54, um, which, uh, according to an article uh, that was written earlier this year, I want to say in uh, Mar April or May, uh, was uh, Sports Illustrated. Uh, it was called uh, uh, Frequently Asked Questions of the LIV Golf Invitational Series. And basically, <laughs> if this, the score of every hole on a par of 72 courts were birdied and the number of holes to be played at LIV events, this is the reason why they named it LIV. And it was started in um, uh, 2022, and I want to say in... Uh, England or Sweden? And hey, we got Mr. John Gold joining our stream. John, can you hear us? Yes, I can. Well, good, good to, to see you, John. How you doing, man? I'm doing the best I can. How are you? I'm doing well, and, and I wanted to invite uh, you and Adam here today. We are live on Jackman Radio's YouTube. Um, as I was saying to Adam, you guys represent two of the best um, writers and researchers on 9-11, and especially with respect to Saudi Arabia. And because this has been in the news so much lately, we wanted to talk about you know, the golf uh, tournament and uh, Terry Strada statements and the meeting with uh, Ben Salman and uh, everything that's been going on with that. So what's your take on the uh, on the golf tournaments, the uh, LIV, the the kingdom of Saudi Arabia being able to buy these golfers for, you know, millions of dollars? It says that money talks and SHIT walks, you know, um, it's sad, uh, but then again, I don't blame the entire culture of Saudi Arabia, the country of Saudi Arabia, all of the people of Saudi Arabia for the actions of the, the, that took place on 9-11. That's called collective punishment, when you hold people's families, neighborhoods, cities, countries accountable for the actions of a few, and it's a war crime. And that's exactly what we did after 9-11 is we held all of these countries uh, accountable for 9-11 that had absolutely nothing to do with the attacks. So, um, you know, while I think that Saudi Arabia should definitely be held accountable or aspects of elements within Saudi Arabia need to be held accountable. I've always said that 9-11 was a crime carried out by individuals. And those individuals need to be held accountable. Um, and then you want to take a look at Wahhabism and, and all, the, all that stuff. I mean, that's secondary compared to accountability for 9-11. For um, you know, again, we don't know the truth about 9-11. And you can't point a finger at Saudi Arabia. Like I wrote an article years ago entitled, You Can't Point a Finger at Saudi Arabia Without Having Five Fingers pointing back at the U.S. for how the U.S. has enabled them, mm -hmm. worked with them, protected them as far as terrorism is concerned. Um, 
with regards to Biden meeting M MBS, um, there was a lot of emphasis put on prior to the meeting on Khashoggi. But where was the emphasis on 9-11, which to me dwarfs Khashoggi? That's what Adam was just saying. Yeah, exactly, John. Um, it seems like it was set up to be just about Khashoggi. And the media was told to shut up about 9-11. Um, it's staggering to me the amount of control that they have over our media, that I have to go to British sites to find anything about certain things. Um, I mean, it's just disgraceful. Um, now, do you think do you think it's possible that Khashoggi was in touch with yes, families and people related to the to the lawsuit that was going on, and that was that was really why he was killed? Crindler said he was, to my knowledge. At least I think he said he was. Adam, is that correct? Um, yeah, I, uh, there was a lot of pressure on getting a civil suit ready for the kingdom regarding the Khashoggi murder. But this was, again, downplayed just not from the uh, Saudi kingdom, but also the media in this country. No, but I'm saying, isn't it, didn't Crindler confirm that Khashoggi met with them? Yes, James okay. Creed. Yeah. Well, then that would be, to me, the reason why they probably killed him. I mean, it's the most obvious reason, I would think. Yeah, so it's still related to 9-11. You know, that, that's, the, yeah. that's the point. Like that's like you were saying, that's why that is the most important issue. And Khashoggi's death ultimately at the, um, you know, consulate office is, is still related to 9-11. So yeah. I, I doubt that Biden put any pressure or asked any real questions to, no. I call him Bonesaw, to Bonesaw. You know, and prior to going to Saudi Arabia, he wrote a piece, an opinion piece about why I'm going to Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. He didn't even bother to mention... 9-11, um, just, just disgraceful, you know, and it's been this disgraceful for 20 years, 21 years with regards to Saudi Arabia and 9-11. Uh, everything our government has done to protect them, just staggering the different things that they've done over the years. I mean, Alina Kagan, when Obama was in in, in the office, protected the Saudis over the families. Um, when JASA was going on, um, I think, wasn't the Obama administration fighting against that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Obama was president. Now, JASA, John, that was the bill uh, to hold them accountable, right? For the right. financial. What did that stand for? Uh, joint uh, against, uh, Justice Against Sponsors of Terrorism Act. Okay. And didn't Obama veto the bill? And then yes, I believe he did. Override. I believe he did. Um, he promised when he first met, when he first came into office, one of the first things he did was meet with the 9-11 family members as if to pass the baton from George Bush to um, to to Barack Obama, the 9-11 baton to, to Barack Obama. And what he did was is he met with family members. He met with Kristen Bratweiser and told her, that he would look into the 28 redacted pages and get back to her. He never did for the entirety of his administration and didn't um, release them until towards the end. And he released them with three pages still redacted with pages with redactions throughout. Uh, there was a team from the Obama administration stating that there was absolutely nothing to what was in those 
28 redacted pages. You had people like Philip Zelikow coming out saying there was nothing to what was in those 28 redacted pages. Um, and, you know, this happened all throughout the Obama administration. Uh, when he met with the family members, one of the first things he did after meeting with them was use that meeting as a great reminder as to why we need to stay in Afghanistan. And he result, he sent more troops to Afghanistan using the meeting with the 9-11 family members as the justification to do so. As I meant, you know, passing the 9-11 baton from Bush to, to Obama. So, you know, Obama didn't waste any time using 9-11 to wage war and whatnot. And he used the authorization for use of military force that was written after 9-11 to go specifically after those responsible for 9-11 for places like uh, Libya and Syria and Sudan and, you know, all kinds of places. Um, I, 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 you know... The, the Obama administration gave the Saudis the go-ahead with regards to Yemen. They sold them billions of dollars worth of weapons. They refueled their airplanes in the air. They gave them intelligence. They put boots on the ground in Yemen uh, to support what Saudi Arabia was doing. And finally, years later, they, they said that they no longer supported what uh, Saudi Arabia was doing in Yemen, but they didn't make any effort to stop them. You know, um, and what so happened? That's been, that's been going on since 2013, 2014, right? When, 2014. when Obama, yeah. and, um, and I think during this meeting, um, supposedly MBS was going to make a concession with Yemen, but I doubt that that happened. I mean, have you heard anything? Have you guys heard anything I, on I that? Heard anything about that? I think it's a disgrace what they did to that country, and I think. The Ukraine is going to be the new Yemen. Um, and I'm tired of people referring to it as the war in Ukraine. It's a war against Russia. This, yeah, this, it's our proxy war against Russia. Yeah, it's a war against Russia, period. Um, anyway, so with regards to Biden meeting him, you know, it was a disgrace he didn't bring up 9-11. I don't think he should be allowed at any 9-11 memorial event. I think the families uh, should make that happen. Um, it was funny because the Independent reported that Prince Bandar was going to be the one to meet him on the tarmac. Hmm. And I thought, my God, what a slap in the face to the family members. Um, and he may very well have met with Prince Bandar behind the scenes. I don't know. He, you know, it was his daughter. Uh, FEMA, whatever her name is, the Saudi ambassador to the United States, FEMA Bandar, is that her name? Bandar's daughter, huh? Yeah, Bandar's daughter is now the Saudi ambassador to the United States, a, a position that Bandar held for 30 years almost. Bandar Bush. And nobody saw him for a while, right, John? Like, he, or, or do, you, what, do you guys know like how long it was that he was kind of either he, hidden from public or he was trying to keep a low profile up until a couple years ago? Well, so there was even some reports that he had, it was dead. There, there, Thierry Mason, the idiot that he is, reported that Prince Bandar had been assassinated. I called the Saudi embassy to verify that, and I was laughed at. That's pretty base. That's and pretty base that you did that. Somebody, ate, somebody else called the Saudi embassy and were laughed at as well. Um, 
when MBS did his Let's Make Saudi Arabia Great Again tour through the United States, CBS gave him a 30-minute propaganda show. Um, they had a secret dinner that was not reported on by anybody where people like uh, Dick Cheney, James Baker, Colin Powell, uh, Bandor, MBS, you know, were all at this dinner. And the only ones that reported on it were Al Arabia, the, the Saudi newspaper. How do you say that, Al Arabia? Um, oh, I'm not sure. Maybe yeah. Adam knows that one. Adam's really good with the They were the, the, only, ones that, they were the only ones that reported on that dinner. And, you know, here we are, a 9-11 financier, or who knows what else with regards to 9-11, was allowed to roam free through the country um, with no repercussion. And yeah, I, I mean, I just contacted John Lehman, the 9-11 commissioner, to ask him some questions. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, I saw you posted about um, you actually emailed his law firm and got in touch with um, one of his staffers, and, and they took your questions, and he actually like read them and answered them? He answered them all with the same answer, no. No was his answer to all three questions. And I think the first question was um, dodging the questions about Bandar is, is a form of uh, is an obstruction of justice. Do you think Bush should be held accountable for that? And that was reported on by Phil Sheenan that when John Lehman asked uh, George Bush specifically about Bandar, he dodged the questions. Uh, but John Lehman says that that's false information now, or something to mm. that effect. I, I don't believe it because I did a lot of investigating into Sheenan's work. I spoke with Heinkotter, the, the secretary who, you know, said that Rove was calling and, and so forth, and Zelikow told her not to take her, or not to record those calls or something to that effect. I forget. Um, I spoke with Dana Leeseman, who was the Saudi investigator on the Joint Congressional Inquiry. She moved over to the 9-11 Commission to continue her work. Um, Zelikow blocked her access to the 28 redacted pages, forcing her to go through a back channel to gain access through them, resulting in Zelikow firing her for it. Um, you know, the second question, uh, damn, I don't remember. The third question was, do you think Philip Zelikow should be arrested for the part that he had to play? in the 9-11 being as corrupt and compromised as it was. Um, and basically, he, he said this is all based on false information, which it wasn't, was not false information by any stretch of the imagination, um, and just said no to all three questions. And, you know, his right. job his job as a 9-11 commissioner is to protect the integrity of the 9-11 commission, to act as though it was the definitive account of 9-11 as it was sold to the world, that it was, you know, to, they were all there to cover up for somebody. Yeah, and, and I saw you were you uh, you mentioned uh, Thomas Kane's been in the news oh, uh, God. running cover again, and he, 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 he wasn't the MAGA guy, but he's he's uh, he, he he's is. saying that the 9-11 families and their information about Saudi Arabia was perhaps uh, too uh, over well, 
what he did was when the the information information first came out, Thomas Keene feigned anger about it, you know, and he he's done that before, where it it seems like it's theater, um, and now he he came out and he said that the, he doesn't think the case against the Saudis is as good as the families think it is, but the information that just came out that's getting all the news was not privy to the 9-11 commission. So how could he make a statement like that, you know, about this entirely new information that the 9-11 commission wasn't even privy to, you know, right. I, and he was the, what was he, the chairman of Hess? Emirata, the oh, Hess. the energy company or, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, so I, I saw a report from 2002 that talked about how the company had Saudi ties. Probably. That yeah. wouldn't surprise me. So there you go right there. Thomas Keene protecting Saudi Arabia. And now, now Adam, have you had a chance to read um, all those documents you were looking at a couple months ago when the latest information came out about the hijackers in California meeting with this um, Saudi agent, essentially? How about you? Yeah, actually... When, when that first came about, uh, it was pressure from the Biden administration just last year uh, to release documents and files. This came incidentally at the heels of what I said previously uh, regarding his, his uh, visit uh, by Anthony Blinken, Secretary of State, where they pressured uh, Saudi Arabia to produce more oil and they refused. And just weeks later, it was just like on, on purpose, almost the uh, recent declassification, I think it's 510 pages from the Pentbomb investigation um, as well as Operation Encore, where you have a uh, recent declassification, but partly redacted files of both FBI investigations into Saudi financing. What they found was something that myself, John Gold, and Ryan Dawson, and Paul Thompson have been saying for quite some time, but we just didn't have the names and proof. Well, this latest declassification of files shows that you have a, a Saudi government official in Omar al-Bayoumi getting paid by... Uh, uh, a company called the Saudi Arabian Presidency of Civil Aviation, in which he was an employee since 1975, mm. and in which he constantly denied, even said during the uh, when he was interviewed by the FBI and 9/11 Commission, where he basically says, and you can read this in the memorandum for records, where he says that he just incidentally had met two Al Qaeda operatives in this restaurant called the Mediterranean Cafe, which is no longer there where he walked in and met these two Arab men. Just ran into him, yeah, by chance. Yeah, just by chance. But Omar al wasn't alone, and he was with somebody named Kaysan bin Don, an associate. And when the FBI investigated, uh, were interviewing him, he said the opposite, that they were the first people to enter the restaurant. And then in came, walk in, Khalid al-Bidar and Wafa Adli. And Omar al started a friendship with them and basically provided uh, the first two months' rent, got, uh, helped them to get their driver's license, even through a, a party where there was a video video uh, taken of this housewarming party that was shot on Omar Al-Bayoumi's camera. And this came out during the latest cachet of files. And um, basically, uh, it wasn't, it was very underreported. But yeah. after a while, you had CBS, ABC, I'm sorry, that basically interviewed, I think it was Ken Williams of the Phoenix Memo FBI agents out of Phoenix, where he basically says that none of this is new and that this was known by the FBI and it was, was known by the State Department, but it was all hush-hush because basically what happened was they uh, knew about these operatives inside the country, but they didn't know anything about Khalid al-Bedar and Nawaf Azmi until much later. 
However, two agencies knew, and that was the CIA and the NSA, and they never shared that information with the FBI. And that was the biggest complaint with the FBI was we had no idea that we were inside the country, even though they lived with FBI informants for a little bit of a period of time in, in the summer of 2000. And the Bush and administration that, blocked him from testifying before the Joint Congressional Inquiry. Yeah, Abdullah. Um, uh, that's, that's right. That's right. Abdullah's... Uh, um, Abdullah's, it's a tough one to pronounce. Yeah, I'm, 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 Abdusatar Sheikh. Abdusatar Sheikh. Abdusatar Sheikh, right? Abdusatar Sheikh. Who so basically, he, he basically lied. He said he was a teacher at San Diego University teaching English, and they have no record of him being there. There's a lot of right. mystery behind it. It's a diploma mill or something. Let, yeah. Let me read. Let me read to you my third question, or my or the second yeah. question I have. For John Keep Lee going, about. guys. I'll be right back. Uh, do you think that Carl Rove was the person pulling the strings of the 9-11 Commission through Philip Zelikow? News of this possibility prompted the Jersey Girls to call for an entirely new investigation into 9-11 in February of 2008. You can read about it here. Um, they were the only news outlet to report that newsworthy information, sadly. You know, and to call that false information, when there were so many statements by... John Lehman talking about Carl Rove, uh, quote, Carl Rove was directly involved in consulting with Zelikow about the progress of the 9-11 commission. Um, quote, Rove was the quarterback for dealing with the, the commission. You know, this is from John Lehman. Um, you know, I found a report yesterday from July 15th. I'm sorry. This report is from... February 3rd, 2008, uh, quote, 9-11 Commission member John Lehman goes on to tell MSNBC that it was impossible not to go through Karl Rove when documents such as presidential daily briefings were needed. Many commission members, he says, pressed the White House to provide more information and lift restrictions on a regular basis. Quote, we had to go through Karl Rove and through Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez and and the other most senior members. So, you know, to say that was false information, it's, it's absurd. But yeah. I, I have no love for any of the 9-11 commissioners because as far as I'm concerned, if they have any problem with what they were told, they should be jumping up and down, screaming mm. at the top of their lungs that, hey, this happened and blah, 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 blah. Somebody needs to be held accountable. He was complaining that they couldn't get documents, right? They were trying to subpoena documents right. from the White House, and they were not allowing them to see those. And he also said that as each day goes by, we learned that this government knew more about the hijackers than it has let on kind of thing. I think that's a direct quote. I would love this to know what Bush and Cheney said behind closed doors together where they were holding mm -hmm. each other's hands. You know, I mean, everyone's so focused on this J6 stuff with Liz Cheney parading around about this coup that took place, supposedly. It was just a low IQ uh, riot that happened. Meanwhile, uh, Bush and Cheney testifying together to the 9-11 Commission where no, maybe, I, I bet they took notes, but they've never been released. Well, the Is family, that the case, John? The family, yeah. There, there was no transcripts allowed, no recordings allowed. And so on and so forth, and they they were not allowed. They were not under oath. Um, you know, and the families prior to their meeting begged them to do it publicly. Mm -hmm. Why? Why should the president and vice president 
not be able to testify publicly about these attacks unless they have something to hide. This administration or that administration acted as if they were covering up their involvement in the 9-11 attacks. That's how they acted. You know, everything they did to make sure that uh, that they didn't cooperate with different investigations. They made sure each investigation had its own version of corruption and compromise. They acted like people covering up their involvement in the 9-11 attacks. Why? Right, and it was uh, Zelikow in uh, May. They actually did they wrote an outline before John, or, or well, they had it was, was kind of like the Warren Commission where they had their conclusion and they needed to have the facts they, fit that. The thing is, they wrote a complete outline of the final report before the investigation even began. But as John Judge pointed out, the White House uh, pre vetted each and every chapter before it was allowed to be released, so it was essentially co written with the White House. Hmm. That's they, crazy. Have, they vetted every chapter, so right before, yeah, and they they foot they decided to footnote certain things that were maybe incendiary, um, but they kind of buried them in the back or footnoted them, and uh, and, and you know, famously, Philip Zelikow and Dieter Snell took part in a quote late night editing session to remove Saudi support for the hijackers from the nine eleven report. From the final 9-11 report. I wonder what information that was specifically. Yeah, um, and it, every year on the anniversary, you get the media for, you know, a day or two saying, never forget, you know, we won't forget. And they parade around certain talking points. But uh, every year, there's always stuff that comes out, you know, more information. So um, through the prism of golf, you know, we're seeing a lot more people uh, coming to this information. It's unfortunate that it has to be through through sports, but... It's so blatant and so egregious that the Saudi royals or a certain, you know, fraction of Saudi Arabia are willing to pony up all this money to, to get these golfers to uh, what Terry Strada called uh, sports wash their image. Right. I, I think that people should get together in Bedminster, New Jersey, when the families are protesting them this month, when they, I don't know what day it is, but whenever they're playing at Trump's. Uh, golf course in Bedminster, New Jersey, you should go out and support the family members and, you know, that are rallying there, that are holding press conference. I wish I could go. I can't. So, but you should go and support them. Yeah, I think that's going to be July 27th through the 30th or something like that. And, um, yeah, I would, I, I would uh, love to talk to um I was talking Chris, to Brett about it. Eagleson? Eagleson, uh, Eagleson yeah. And, um he said he would let me know when it was taking place, but I haven't been told anything yet. Yeah, where so did, we did, where did you hear the 27th? Uh, I just read that in an article. I'll have to double check where I saw that. But um, yeah, the fact that it's at Bedminster at Trump's Trump's friggin', uh, you know, golf course in New Jersey is it, it makes sense. I mean, he was over there with the sword and he, he did the same thing that Obama did. He punted you know, with the nine, meeting with the 9-11 families and saying, we're going to look into this. It's, we're going to do it. We're going to release all the files. And he just kicked it down downstream, you know, to the next president. So it's, it's a, it's a cover-up and, and a, a national disgrace that's been going on since George W. Bush, and it continues well, to this day. We have to remind people that... It's Saudi bipartisan. Saudi Arabia is just one aspect of the cover-ups pertaining to 9-11. Absolutely. One aspect of it. 
Um, and, you know, it gets so much attention because the families are suing them. If NORAD was in the news, I would give NORAD attention. If Israel was in the news, I'd give Israel attention. But Saudi Arabia is the one that's in the news the most. So that's why it gets the most attention. And people try to say, oh, you only cover Saudi Arabia. Well, unfortunately, it's the one that's in the news the most. That's why I wanted to talk about it today with you and Adam. But like you mentioned, John, uh, yeah, NORAD. I mean, even the commission, um, I don't know if it was Keene or Hamilton uh, was saying we wanted to charge NORAD with lying under oath or changing their story two or three times, NORAD and the FAA. Well, I think, I think they wanted to refer the matter to the Department of Justice for a criminal investigation. It was yeah. Romer. who might have been Romer who said and that. Zelikow sat on that memo for months mm -hmm. until the end of the 9-11 Commission. Um, and then, then they decided to refer it to the Department of Defense Inspector General. And the difference is if they committed any kind of crime, the Department of Justice can actually hold you accountable, whereas the Inspector General can only recommend that you be held accountable. Um, and, of course, you know, when, the, when you investigate yourself, you're going to let yourself off the hook, and that's exactly what the Department of Defense did of with regard to NORAD, with regard to Able Danger, and I don't trust Tony Schaefer anymore. Um, you know, but that's what the Department of Defense Inspector General did. Adam, you had on uh, Tony Schaefer for the Dark yeah. Hour. Uh, what what do you think about uh, your discussion with him, and what did you come away with? Uh, I did not interview him for my book. I, or no, Adam Adam had him on his podcast. Oh, I I uh, think. Go ahead, Adam. Right, Adam? Yeah, that's, that's right. I, I interviewed him and Eric Kleinsmith for the Land Information Warfare Activities. They both were involved with Able Danger. Right. Schaefer actually, I kept it strictly to the... Uh, uh, the the able danger program itself um in regards to uh schaefer the more interesting aspect was that he was uh he actually met with philip zelikow about yep. air force briefs yeah basically uh gave uh told him about the program which is still classified up to that point and he was actually the first person to ever know about the program outside of anybody that was involved with the program yep. and so then when he returned to the united states his security clearance was uh uh, revoked, and then he was put in limbo for that. Philadelphia was supposedly Tony Schaefer's arch nemesis. And then when Mitt Romney was running for president, he hired Philip Zelikow for a position, and Tony Schaefer still supported Romney. And I was, I was just, a, why are you doing that? But that wasn't the only reason, problems I've had with him. I've seen him do so many questionable things over the years, and he's turned into a complete right-wing you know, wasn't he QAnon at one point or MAGA? He, he was MAGA adjacent for sure, yeah. Oh. He's definitely MAGA adjacent. <laughs> yeah, that's the reason why I only kept it with, you know, to talk about Able Danger. Yeah. Um, but it's but, funny, when Able Danger first came out, there was there was at a time when everybody was pointing the finger at Bush for 9-11. And that was, un, you weren't allowed to do that. There, there was a no-no. Uh, then Able Danger came out, and there was some information regarding Clinton. And all of a sudden, all of the people that said you couldn't point a finger at Bush were pointing fingers at Clinton. Right. Um, and so everybody questioned Able Danger. Well, is this just about pointing the finger at Clinton? Um, who knows? Who knows? But, you know, Sandy Berger apparently took some documentation that may have had to do with Able Danger. Uh, but he's dead now, so we can't question him about it. 
the further away we get from that day, the harder it will be to get to the truth because people are going to die. Ernest May, dead. Didn't Slade Gorton die? Uh, one of the 9-11 commission. Jamie Gorelick and Slade Gorton, I think, have both passed on, I think. No, Jamie I, I don't know if Jamie Gorelick died. But or, okay, Slade Gorton, I think, then. Hold on one second. Oh, yeah. Gorelick is alive. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, Adam, I wanted you to kind of mention the – you were just recently released a uh, like a 10 or 15-minute video that was based on – uh, your research and Nelson's re uh, Nelson Martin's uh, DJ thermal detonator, where you talk about this. I think he was an Egyptian guy who ended up embedding himself in the um, FDNY, and there was a, a, a fire marshal who kind of blew the whistle on that. I never knew that story until I, I, I mean, I maybe I'd heard it, but that's a very interesting story that that you released recently, Adam. Into a clip. Yeah, and I wanted to expand on that a little bit and see if yeah, and you know what? Now that I'm trying to remember his name and I can't. Buka, Thomas Buka, or oh no, that that's the fireman, Ronald Buka. Ronald uh, Buka was the fire. Yeah, right. But he, they were he made it way up into the into the uh, World Trade Center near the the uh, the, the crash zone, actually. Right. You know, him and Oriel Palmer, they made it to uh, what was it, the eighty first floor, eighty third floor. And they were the first because they wrote they they uh, participated in marathons uh, together, but Buka actually was known to be one of the very few people that actually saw a bigger, um, wider network of terrorists after the ninety three ninety three World Trade Center bomb, and one such individual that Buka found out was uh, this individual, and you know what I can't remember his name, right now. And, I can't uh, either. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I, yeah, I apologize. Um, but what happened was this guy actually. I'll look it up. Um, um, was working for the FDMY, and he came across on a blueprint for the World Trade Center before um, the 1993 World Trade Center attack in 93. And he was allowed to take these blueprints that were thrown out because they were restructuring the uh, the building at the FDMY. And what they did was these old uh, documents and files about uh, New York pre, uh, there was uh, the 90s, all the way from the 60s to 90s, these blueprints get thrown out. So he saw these blueprints and said, could I take these? And he said, yeah, you could take them. And I think it was like a week or two later, the 93 World Trade Center bombing happened. And when that happened, this individual, whose name escapes me, um, basically um, said that he wasn't coming into work that day. And so what they found out was he claimed to have lost a, bill, a, a, a pass to the uh, basement levels where these blueprints were at and that Buka saw the video and saw that the bag, the pass was in his back back pocket. And so he didn't he didn't report a pass was missing. He always had the pass. So they wanted to know they had to open an investigation into him. What he found out was was basically this guy was known to the uh, Egyptian radical Omar Abdel Rahman of the Gamma Islamia uh, group, uh, which is a terrorist group labeled terrorist group in Egypt. Ahmed Rafai, that was his name. Yeah, yeah. What's his I name? Think. Ahmed Rafai. Yeah, thank Rafai. you very much. Well, Rafai. That's right. Very this, good. This is your research. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, so they, they found out that this guy basically um, uh, was working with the Blind Sheikh. And meanwhile, he had blueprints to the World Trade Center. And then a week or two later, you know, the building gets bombed. We're not saying that there's any type of uh, direct involvement with the bombing. It just seems quite suspicious that this guy's basically friends with people who basically were involved with the World Trade Center attacks. And when then Peter Lance, who authored the book A Thousand Years for Revenge, went with an FBI investigator 
to the house of Ahmed Rafai, they interviewed him. And basically, after a little bit of pressuring, Ahmed Rafai said something very profound. And he said that the United that there were no elements involving Saudi Arabia or bin Laden involved with the attacks. And he said that Israel and the United States are behind the attacks. And Lance basically was blown away by it. And, you know, they, they basically walked out of the house and basically said, do you really believe that? And he said, I, it's not just me that believes that. It's basically all the Arabs that he knows believes that. Well, that was the thing early on, right after 9-11, there were quote-unquote conspiracy theories popping up in the Middle East saying mm. that Israel did this, Israel did this. Um, and I wonder if that's when what prompted Bush to say, let us never tolerate outrageous conspiracy theories concerning mm. the attacks of September 11th. Malicious lies that attempt to shift the blame away from the terrorists themselves. Away from the guilty party, the terrorists. That was good, John. That's a really good memory there, man. You had that, you had that down dead nuts. Um, yeah, but that was the first form of conspiracy theories about 9-11 that came out. I mean, uh, other than the people who were on the TVs that day saying that the Palestinians were responsible for this. Mm. Um, you know, <laughs> so many different conspiracy theories concerning 9-11. Just to and, add on that, John, basically you reminded me of something. Uh, someone else spoke about the 9-11 conspiracies uh, in Al Arabiya news station. Is basically, uh, it was Jamal Khashoggi, of all people. Jamal Khashoggi uh, came out and said Adnan that. Khashoggi, uh, Adnan Khashoggi, weren't his assets <clears throat> frozen or something? I, I yeah, during the Afghanistan war. Yeah. And he saw, actually was one of the main reasons why uh, the Mujahideen actually there was a conduit between Saudi Arabia and the Gulf to the weapon sales of of the Afghan Mujahideen. I think he sold the he bought Trump's yacht or he sold the yacht to Trump. Did you did you guys ever hear that? So the, uh, if I were to say that the system that brought us the Iran Contra affair is the same system that brought us the nine eleven attacks, how accurate do you think that statement would be? I think that's incredibly accurate and. You, and I just wrote an article about this, and I mentioned some of Adam's research. Um, Lee Hamilton was part of the uh, official white uh, ribbon or blue ribbon, wherever you want to call it, inquiry into Iran-Contra. And in 1987, he decided not to not to investigate Ronald Reagan or George H.W. Bush because it wouldn't be good for the country. You know, that Flash that's, that's also in my book, Mike, Lee Hamilton, so... It's also in uh, we we also have to give credit to another researcher who has sadly passed on, um, who wrote uh, about the October surprise and about Iran Contra. Robert Perry. Robert Perry. Yeah, and, and because you pointed me to that information a long time ago, John, I sent a letter to Barack Obama, and that letter actually got published in a book called Letters to Obama when he was coming into office. So we stand on the on the shoulders of, of giants as far as research, and I think so many researchers and people who look into stuff like you guys and Paul Thompson, have vast pieces of the puzzle. And if you put it all together, all the really great, you know, best information, um, you know, the, the real story kind of emerges. But sorry, John, back to your point about Iran-Contra and 9-11. No, I just think that that's, you know, that's a, a simple statement that I think is true and the areas that people start need to start looking into or, you know, continue to look into. Um that's all. I mean, a lot of the same players were in the Bush administration, so mm. <laughs> it's not a yeah. stretch. 
yeah, all of our north sells out of this country gets a show on Fox News. You know, it's it's, it's the American dream. You know, I mean, Alfred Ampakowski is now a beautician on Instagram. I mean, um, I the, just the torture queen herself, Adam Alfreda Bukowski. Yeah, Alfreda, my Alfreda Bukowski, the torture queen. Alfreda she, Francis Bukowski. That's right. Francis. Okay. Yeah, she's a beautician now, uh, openly. You know, she's out in the open. Uh, on a, All right, my dinner has gotten here, so I have to leave you guys. John, thank you so much for joining us, man. I appreciate you coming in. And, and for anybody who's watching or just joining us, John Gold, I call him the gold, one of the gold standards of 9-11 research mm. and activism, has been doing this for a long time, um, much to, the, to, to his own detriment because he really cares. And, and he, way before John Stewart was championing the um, – 9-11 first responders and trying to get them the health care and the help that they deserve and that, that they still desperately need, even after this has been passed. Um, check, John, where can people check out your work? Well, they can go to we rely to about 911.com. Uh, with regard to the 9-11 first responders, they're $3 billion short right now on right. money for them. And Maybe we can get it from the Ukraine. We can have uh, Zelensky send that to us. Just disgraceful. What have we sent? $60 billion worth of things to the Ukraine? Roughly. Um, you know, and they, it seems that they're tapping into these responder funds for other things. I don't know if they're doing that or not, but they continually run out of money. I, I don't quite understand how that's happening. But mm -hmm. every time that they have to fight for more money, it becomes more difficult because we're further away from 9-11 and it's not as fresh as in everybody's mind. And, you know, the whole, oh, the heroes of 9-11 thing. Yeah. Is, you know, doesn't have it's the sway. Doesn't have the sway that it used to. Yeah. Well, Drywall O said, y'all three got to do this again. I would love to. Absolutely. I mean, Adam and John, you guys are, it's a brain trust. And then one more comment here before we let you go, John. Drywall O says thanks, John. Who says that? Drywall, Drywall O. Well, enjoy your dinner, John. Thank and, you. Uh, for well, thank you. Okay, that was John Gold. Everybody, um, been wanting to be meeting the podcast with him for a while. Um, I've actually known him since 2007, 2007, mm. 2008. I was introduced to him by uh, John Thiel of the Feel Good Foundation. Oh, um, wow. John Field was injured when he was working on the pile at Ground Zero, and a, and a piece of Building Seven actually fell and crushed his foot um, that he was working on. This was days, after, you know, maybe weeks after. Um, but um, John Field's been an amazing advocate for um, survivors and 9/11 first responders to get the help and the health care that they they're entitled to, and they've had to fight the that that that's a whole other aspect of 9/11 that gets glossed over a lot too. Um, you know, Bush went down there and put his arm around that retired firefighter and had the bullhorn and gave the great speech. And meanwhile, they have all these cancers and health problems and breathing in all these particles. And, and Christy Todd Whitman is, you know, from the EPA is saying the water is safe to drink, the air is safe to breathe. Um, and these people are still getting sick and dying prematurely and uh, they need assistance. So the Feel Good Foundation is a great group um, and a resource, you know, for, for that community. I mean, there's so many aspects to 9/11, Adam. You know, it's you could you could go on. It could it's it's just it's infinite. You know. Yeah, it, but, this is the subject that basically is the reason why I keep, you know after what 16 years now, I've continued to learn something new about it every day, 
Yeah. Uh, exactly. There's almost like not a week that goes by. I come across some information that I've not known previously. And just imagine all the classified material that we have uh, that we haven't seen, which may be profound in the future. Um, yeah, you're always going to learn something new. Um, yeah, because that's, that's classified. Yeah, that's classified. Right, classified. You Absolutely. Know, that's classified. So they don't, they don't, everyone, the, the people that are involved, the players are dead. That's right. Classified classified for 30, 40 years. Yeah, yeah, the JFK stuff, we're coming up on uh, 59 years in November, and there's still we, – we, we don't have Lee Harvey Oswald's – we can't have Oswald's tax information or uh, yeah. certain payroll – because it might show that he was involved with the CIA as far back as 1959. But, um, yeah, with 9-11, I, I, I don't know. Um, I'm sure this has come up in one of our streams with Ryan or, or Nelson, but um, when w when the urban moving folks were pulled over or one of their van or associated vans, the dogs did detect bomb residue. Whatever, whatever became of that? Do you know anything about that? Or? Well, I'll tell you why now. That story died on a vine. Uh, the document you're referring to is actually in the FBI uh, uh, files relating to the Dancing Israelis, as they're called. Uh, but they were actually called the high fibers by the FBI. The media. They weren't them. dancing. They were, doing, they were doing kind of a, they were doing something like this. Well, they, they were celebrating. I mean, they were happy. Crazy. Yeah, the, the point they is they were celebrating I mean, and they were happy. Part of the conspiracy is, you know, that was reported by the woman in Maria. At the mm -hmm. But the um, the report, which is redacted uh, for good reason, because they don't want you to know, is that, um, yes, one dog actually detected explosive residue, as it's named in the, the document. Um, what type of explosive residue? Well, it doesn't specifically state, and it basically is on that one page. But right. it just there was no follow-up to this. Now, there's a reason why. is because the Israelis that were detained regarding urban moving systems as well as other movie companies that were affiliated with urban moving systems at one point or another, like classic international movers They're in Florida, in New Jersey, in New York. Is that Moshe yeah, or White Glove? Yeah, that, that, there was other companies that were... And this is all coming out of the notebook that was uh, recovered by uh, the Israelis that were detained on East uh, of Rutherford Turnpike, uh, the five that were detained. Those are the dancing Israelis. The three of them were. But anyway... Um, there was other movie companies that were hiring like these temp uh, stays from Israel that were visiting in the United States in the summer of 2000, a studio to 2001. All of these people were basically detained on uh, the violation of their visas. Now, this is huge because this also happened with the Saudis as well that were involved with the monitoring of certain people within that network of the 9-11 uh, attacks, was that all these people were basically detained by um overstaying their visas and what this did was that was the first crime that they committed because any type of investigation that was committed by the fbi or the department of justice as well as local police any type of crimes that would be secondary to the first crime now because they overstayed their visas they were handed over to immigration naturalization service and the first thing they did was deport them mm -hmm. and so any type of investigation deeper investigation by the fbi was basically uh, whitewashed because these people are deported. And they're deported where? To Israel and Saudi Arabia or the Gulf, Bahrain, they, United States, wherever they came from. They and held a good, they held a good amount of them, though. Or, you know, their crimes or whatever that's investigated by the FBI relating to the attacks, you think? No, of course not. So the dancing Israelis, well, no, you never heard from them again. In fact, I think it was uh, Paul or Sivan Ryan with Dawson would notice. 
Paul, it was either Paul or Sivan Kersberg actually got married the following year on September 11, 2001. Yeah, Ryan's, Ryan did some, some Rosetta stoning and did some yeah. research and went to LinkedIn or did something to, yeah. to dig that nugget up. I think it was Facebook. The guy, because he opened a Facebook account. And so um, he he gets married on it. You think that was a rubbing nose? I yeah, come on, that's pretty hubris. Yeah, you think? <laughs> but yeah, any type of like any investigation after that regarding what they found in the truck detected is all basically um, whitewashed by you know the FBI. And of course, the media is not going to report on this. The only right. type that was investigated by the media was a 2020 uh, episode by John Miller, where they talked about the Urban Moving Systems Company. And that was uh, that's basically scrubbed off the internet. And the very few people that uh, reported on this basically is Nelson Martins. He basically, I think, uh, on his channel may have uploaded that uh, uh, specific uh, report. In fact, if, if I don't have it, or he has it, and if he doesn't have yeah. it, nobody else has it because nobody is going to talk about that issue. Nobody. Yeah. Without so he a strike or something. So. so you guys got a new extended version, or alternate version, or updated version of. Uh one of his films coming out. Are you involved in that research too, Adam? What's the story on that? Which one? I'm sorry. Uh, I think Nelson's posted recently about uh, maybe not a new film, but there's some new information that's been, oh. that he's going to edit into. And, and part of that was what we were talking about earlier with the uh, uh, Buka, the Buka yeah. information. Yeah, this was a, re uh, a revision of an earlier film, which is fantastic. Uh, Blueprints for 9-11. And um, I, I, he let me narrate uh, the subject of Ronnie Booker, yeah, um, Rafai, uh, um, Ahmed Rafai, uh, very gracious of him to do that. And um, yeah, I mean, it's a huge uh, compilation of all reports, basically the whole documentary. And most of his films are not, you know, him making stuff up. It's he's telling a story using media reports. Absolutely, ignore, just ignore. Yeah, uh, and, and even stuff that was reported once or twice or put on page six or page seven, never debunked or refuted right. after that, just memory hold and never mentioned again. And that's and that's so, why his five hours, you know, long, four hours long, because yeah. he's telling you a story yeah. regarding a specific subject told by the media report. That's why his films are they're just, you know, Britannicans. That's what they are. They're not just basically conspiracy films. Yeah, there's a conspiracy no. telling you, but it's through the media t telling you. Yeah, it's very dense. It's very labor intensive. And I, maybe one of the answers might be, I just thought of this, if we could get this into a Netflix series, that maybe that's going to be able, that's how people are going to pay attention to this really great and solid and real information. Um, I just watched the three-part series on Hulu about Les Wexner. And that's information, you know, that you've, know, that Ryan Dawson, had, you know, most of it is stuff he's brought to the table, uh, but stuff you know about anybody who's been paying attention to the Epstein case, um, knows that Wexner is the key component to the whole deal. But Hulu has a three-part documentary series where they really focus on Victoria's Secret and L Brands and um, the Limited and Wexner's companies uh, to tell the story of Epstein going in there and posing as a scout for Victoria's Secret and then his connections with Jean-Luc Brunel. So I feel like the, the really solid information and research if somehow we could put that into a, a, a slick or a sleek Netflix eight-part series with respect to 9-11, that is something that could, could be a breakthrough because there was one that came out last year during the 20th anniversary, and they interviewed all the players. They interviewed a bunch of neocons. It was about 9-11. It was good. It was kind of reminiscent of 
the looming tower and stuff like that. It had some great information. Um, but if we could get something on like a Netflix or a Hulu or something like that, that was presented professionally and wasn't just speculation and had eyewitness, you know, testimony, documents, um, declassified material and stories that you don't hear every night on the mainstream. I think that could be provocative enough and attention getting um, for the public at large to give this, you know, a real look. I don't know. Just an idea. Mike, I'll tell you that much because what's that? You're an optimist, I see. So <laughs> I have to be. I have to be a little, to an extent, man. You know, this stuff's so depressing that you have to, you have to spitball ideas, and you have to somehow. I don't know because if you because you know if you talk to people one on one about this information and they see that you're not crazy and you've really read into it and you do care and and you do, you know, know what you're talking about in certain areas of this, they're like, wow, geez, I never knew about that. I never thought about that angle. Um, yeah, well, I think we both can agree the taboo subject would not be Saudi Arabia, it'd be Israel. And yeah, any, of course. I don't I don't think any major company would be behind uh, showing uh, the dancing Israelis and the investigation involved with that. Um, yeah. I, well, this Hulu I, documentary, Adam, they talked all about Wexner's connections uh, to Israel and to, uh, they, I mean, they had Whitney Webb on there. Um, they told Maria Farmer's story. And, you know, the whole documentary wasn't spent talking about that. But and they didn't. I don't think they ever mentioned the mega group, but they they said stuff that most documentaries don't have the guts to say. So I think that's a promising step in the right direction. And it's called um, Angels and Demons on Hulu, and it's all about Les Wexner, who retired two years ago. You know, kind of in disgrace a little bit, and has since made two billion dollars since his retirement, which is very interesting. Oh, that's news to me. Yeah, Wexner has made two billion dollars in the last two years since his public retirement. Well, geez. Um, yeah, in regards to 9 11, it would be, uh, it would have to be a, a large part, serious subject. I mean, I, I don't know how many, uh, series would be behind it. I mean, uh, but yeah. if you were to tell it from a, I guess from a point of view starting 2000 or 99, that would be preferable because you could tell a much more, uh, broader picture of how they got involved, Israel and Saudi Arabia, regarding pre intelligence, because that's, the most important to show that there was foreign and domestic intelligence regarding uh, collecting intelligence about these Al Qaeda operatives that would later on be involved with the 9 11 attacks. That's the real conspiracy. And that's the reason why we don't have an investigation to Israel and Saudi Arabia because they got deported out of the country. And so who could tell the narrative? Well, the narrative was told by the State Department and basically neglected to talk about the, like, say, for example, the NSA wiretapping bin Laden satellite phone beginning in 1992, maybe. Uh, and Al-Qaeda communications up in 96. That's five years prior to 9-11 attacks. What do you think Al-Qaeda is talking about? They're not talking about the Yankees. They're not talking about baking cookies. They're, you know, these are serious things. Yeah, I mean, exactly. About operations. Well, they're talking about operations. Are some of them are successful? Why were they successful? And how much did they know? Well, we'll never talk about that because the truth movement is compromised by fringe conspiracy theorists. The media is not going to report it because they don't want you to know because they're just an extension of the State Department. And so you're, there's no happy medium here. You're either getting disinformation or a lack of real good information. And that you're fighting a war on two fronts, as I would say, a war of disinformation by the, the so-called truth movement, unfortunately, and also um, the, the State Department because they don't want to release any, uh, rep, uh, any type of information because there's a cover-up involved. And so, you know, you have both sides and the public, you know, they don't know any better. So they'll watch, you know, films like from Dave Von Cleese or listen to Christopher Bowling or Rebecca Roth. And basically they're telling you the fantastical. 
And that's, you know, basically what you don't need to hear. What you need to hear is how much did Saudi Arabia and Israel know regarding pre-9-11? How much did the CIA and NSA know pre-9-11? Those are the questions to ask. And that's what wasn't asked at the 9-11 Commission and was basically partly regarding joint house inquiry. The only person to, to touch on this subject was Carl Levin. And I made a podcast specifically about that. I said he was so close because he was talking to George Stein, basically saying, well, you sat on information regarding two al-Qaeda subjects inside the United States for 16 months. And mm-hmm. what Bennett and Kofor Black, the head of the CTC, and Tom Wilshire, who was the deputy chief, the second in command at the Alex Station, say, well, they all gave conflicting accounts. And yeah. some of them lied straight out. Oh, they read, oh, we gave information to the FBI. The FBI said, no, they didn't. And Robert Mueller is sitting right next to George Stanton saying, uh, George Stanton, because, um, oh, I'm sorry, Carl Levin basically tells Mueller, did the CIA share you with any information about these two individuals? And he said, I don't believe they did. And then Carl Levin follows up, well, he goes, now we know what the CIA knew for 16 months and didn't share. Yeah, and that's the, it's part of that classic narrative too, Adam, where the CIA and the FBI hate each other, they don't get along, and they don't share information. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. And, and there's, there's uh, you know, one-upmanship and there's, you know, it's competitive. But yeah, with Alex Station and Richard Blee and a lot of the stuff that, um, you know, John Kiriakou can, uh, uh, you know, speak to and, you know, um, Abu Zubaydah and what information he may have had privy to or contacts that he had that maybe had more information. Um yeah, I mean, there's a whole there's a whole story there that most people and they don't teach it in history class because it is very it's hard to it's kind of hard to pick through in a lot of ways and 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 it's, for for those of us who have been looking into this this subject for so many years, um, there's not there's still not a lot of definitive answers, but there's enough information out there where you can really have a tapestry and a uh, um, a narrative you know take shape that is just completely at odds with what people believe to be the official story of 9-11. Sure. You know, everything that we're sharing with the audience here today is basically known. It's public information. Everything that I'm talking about is public information. It's not something that, you know, I'm making up or I met somebody in a, in a garage and, you know, he's sharing, he's selling me information. This is all public information. And it's public for the, for the public to, to read and see. But if they're not, if it's not at the forefront, for example, if it's not reported by the media, if it's not being told by the truth movement and, and it's in its entirety, well, then you're not going to know about it because it's going to mm. be forgotten in the absence of time. And yeah. this is exactly what the people in the State Department want. They don't want you to know anything about pre-intelligence regarding 9-11. Don't want you to know about that. No, or where to look. Where do, you, where do people even begin to look for this information? They don't want that either. They don't want that to be clear. Thank you, Drywall uh, O, for the sticker. Um I think there was another question here. There might have been a question here for Adam. Uh, let's see. What's this? The Mormon. Thank you, Mormon. Hope springs eternal, and all things in darkness must come to light. Be optimistic, brother. Hmm. So yeah, he's. I think he's optimistic too, Adam. The Mormon. Well, we, we need more optimists because you know, optimists <laughs> like myself isn't good for the future. I know. Let's see what this one says. We have a new 9-11. I think that's referring to COVID. Yep. And another mm-hmm. 100 on point. And then uh, I'd like to see Adam investigate the cough, cough, NIH, fun- NIH funding. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm like, so I'm like less than a layman regarding COVID. That's why I don't talk about it, because I did. I did talk about the when the passports first 
were implemented by the Department of Defense. I talked about it on my channel, and I got mm -hmm. a smoke from, from from medical mis uh, misinformation. Yeah, it's same so, here, man. We we had uh, we had um, uh, the chief counsel of RFK Junior's group, uh, Children's Health Defense, come on. And we had a great, pretty even, great conversation. It was the first one I'd ever done about the, <clears throat> you know what? And it was it was gone within 15 hours. And wow. it said the same thing, medical misinfo. So I don't, you know, got to our audience, obviously, we are, we, <laughs> we have questions and we don't buy the, the a narrative. Um, but it's just, I mean, I want to keep my YouTube channel. It seems like I've been allowed to, to talk about, and I, I've worked very hard for the last seven years on Jackman Radio. Um to put out good information and I'm not saying that there's not good information that runs counter to the official uh, flu world order narrative, but man, that's such a hot potato topic and such a, it, it's just, I don't know right now, man, that's basically like if this were 2003, 2004, trying to question Iraq or nine 11, you know, yeah, you, you, you'll face the wrath of uh, the people in, in charge. And this only leads credence to people who produce the fantastical saying, oh, you see, they don't want you to talk about it. But there is a happy medium between the fantastical and the narrative sold by the State Department. And Absolutely. You could see it. I mean, you could, you could definitely see it for yourself. You don't have to listen to either side, but you could just experience it for yourself. I mean, in everyday life. I mean, there is more to it. I mean, is this a bioweapon? Is it not? I mean, those are real viable questions. And listen. Listen, I'm no fan of Alex Jones, for example, but I would not want to subjugate his speech or like to have his channel taken down because yeah. stop with him. It'll oh, thanks, thanks, Adam. You don't, want to, you don't want to censor me, Adam. I knew you were a fan. I knew you loved me. I knew you always loved me, Adam. You're a sweetheart. Right. I, I consider him the godfather of disinformation, you know, but, but at the same time, I want the viewer or the listener to make up their own mind whether to listen to him or not. You don't want to make that decision for you by somebody else. Absolutely. We're adults. We got our own discernment. We got our own brains. What what, what, what do you think we are? Five-year-olds? They treat yeah. us like children. They just, they look at us like children, like gnats, and that's how they treat us, and that's how they view us. And they're going to, you know, by the uh, failed uh, misinfo board that happened this year, um, it just shows you that they tried to have an official government, um, you know, propagandist, uh, whatever you want to call it, gatekeeper, and it, and it backfired. Yeah. Even no matter how bad the propaganda is and how bad it's become, especially the last two and a half years, people know that, you know, there's something inside of them that's like, man, what I'm being told, it doesn't uh, doesn't quite add up. So we've Mike, been going about 90. Oh, I'm sorry. What's that? I was just going to bring up an example of this. this is a perfect example, Mike, is what you're bringing up. Um, me and my co-host of the Dark and Dow, Richard Cox. Uh, we want to touch on Ukraine crisis. Right? So we wanted to touch. Uh, I had no idea. Nothing. Nothing, no history, just like every other average American. You know, I didn't know anything about Ukraine. And when I looked at the history regarding the CIA, because when it comes to war, I, the CIA has some involvement in talk about recent memory. And what I found out was, was that the CIA and the um, uh, DOSS uh, recent, uh, were, were involved with Ukrainian nationalists, right-wing mm. mm -hmm. well beyond, you know, even to into the Cold War. And even prior to that, you know, individuals like Mikola Lebed, who I've reported upon, uh, regarding uh, the massacre of Polish Jews. And so the CIA later on uh, implemented him into an operation called Operation Aerodynamic. I spoke with this with 
Patrick McFarland, the Liberty Weekly. And that was a fantastic talk about media manipulation. And we talked about Ukraine and stuff like that. And we just recently did a talk about this on his own podcast and talking about the latest revelations of the CIA involvement with these ultra separatists. And they never ended. And mm -hmm. when I reported on this with Richard Cox, and we did two podcasts on this, and it's only they're two of my most popular. And we talked about the CIA's involvement, what these ultranationalists were. And this is not reported by the legacy media. This is not no. talked about by the State Department narratives. And here we have you know, uh, evidence of CIA involvement with these right-wing separatists involved with a coup in 2014, and it was called the Revolution of Dignity. And basically, these separatists helped to overthrow Viktor Yushchenko, who was democratically elected mm -hmm. in one of the most honest elections in 2010. Which led to a revolution in 2014, and they they they, they got him out of the country, and they, their term government came in overwhelmingly voted unanimous. It was like 315 to nothing, and after the interim government came, um, this guy I forgot his name. Um, oh, after Yushchenko or no, the the the, uh, the president now who's the um, oh Zelensky. Oh, sorry, sorry, yeah, I always forget his name. Yeah. Well, New Victoria Newland was over there sleezing around, you know, Kagan's yeah, wife. That just says it all to me. Robert Kagan, by the way. <laughs> hey, Adam, I got a question here from a viewer. Uh, let me put it up, and you can answer this while I, I I'll be right back. I'm going to leave this on the screen, though. Any thoughts on biolabs in Ukraine and connections to Rosemont Seneca and connections to Hunter Biden? Um, all right, yeah. Um, when it comes to Hunter Biden, it's not definitive that he had any connections to it, but there are some um, um, contradictory accounts, and this is again this. It's hard to decipher because well, what do we really know about connections to any business propositions that Hunter Biden, I think, um, is another Democratic senator that has connections as well um, that are, uh, and we're talking about the pre-invasion pre of, of Ukraine and, and all the disputed territories of Lushank and um, Donetsk. Um, is there any, I, I couldn't tell you because I never did any type of real in-depth investigating or reporting on this. And I know about these connections and it really depends on who you listen to as a source of news, which is really hard to come by because you'll have one source coming from the left, one source coming from the right. And then I always say in the middle is the truth. So what is to decipher the truth? I guess I'm gonna to have to leave that up to the listener. Um, and as time progresses, this will become harder and harder to discern what is fact and what is fiction. And of course, it's politicized. Everything is politicized in this country. And that's regretfully the uh, future for this country is that you're going to get a narrative from the left and a narrative from the right, and you won't know what to believe. Because what the powers that be want you to believe is anything. What they don't want you to know is nothing, because with knowledge, you can act on it. And there's a great quote by a, a, a fantastic forensic psychologist, E. Martin Schatz, who once said, who once wrote, belief versus knowledge. Whereas, I'll show it in general, you're allowed to believe, the American populace has a problem, is that they're allowed to believe anything, but to know nothing. Because with knowledge, you can act on it. That means you can act, the will to act. It's verifiable information demonstrably information that you can either go to court with, you can uh, show to the media with, uh, provide evidence with, 
But you could believe whatever you want. You could believe that the CIA wasn't involved with the Ukraine crisis. You could believe that they were involved. But do you know it? And that's the difference. And that's the essence of my channels, is that I want people who follow me to come away knowing something rather than believing something. Because what I would like in the future is that I don't want you as followers. I want you to become leaders. And I want you to, to make your own channels. And that's how you build a movement. A movement of people that know, that can show something, that can make change. Real radical change. I'm not talking about promises in your own head. I'm talking about real radical change outwardly. But we don't have enough people behind that. I mean, we got potential people in the future like yourself and your brother. Jackman Radio, Reed Coverdale. You know, we have Ryan Dawson. We have other people, you know, Liberty Lockdown, Liberty Weekly, the Libertarian Institute. And these yeah. people, if they There's stop, you know, infighting and talk about these mundane, they go on the, the, the Ron Paul premise of anti-war. You can mm -hmm. get the entire libertarian community behind you. Absolutely. So what we need is more reputable people behind it. Then we can start a real movement. Yeah, and I absolutely. And I think it has to tr transcend any party or any ideology. Um, I've been an independent since after the 2004 election. That's when I, that's when my bubble got burst, uh, when Kerry conceded quickly and... I saw the Libertarian Party and the Green Party leading the recount and leading mm -hmm. the push for for real um, transparency with our elections, and that really that 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 really woke me up to a lot of this stuff. And fortunately, my dad and his brothers called called nonsense on the JFK assassination and all the wars they've sold us and everything that you know they've been telling us about our foreign policy. So as a young teenager. I remember hanging out with my uncle John and he was, you know, just telling me his questions about 9-11 and I never really thought about it. You know, I was, I was 14 when it happened and, um, but I really took it to heart and I've just been looking at it ever since. And it really, it, 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 it really defined my generation in a lot of ways. It was kind of my generation's Vietnam, the Iraq war. And of course, 9-11 was my generation's Pearl Harbor. I know it's, it sounds cliche, but that's why I, I still think it's important. I, I really feel like the big picture issues like surveillance, like war, like foreign policy, terrorist financing, um, what's done in our name around the world. I think that that matters and it transcends so many different things and wedge issues that if you talk about it, it's uh, the pendulum swings and it's going to it's always important. But there's sometimes there's more of a shine and more of a light on it. So. With the Saudi issue with 9-11 right now, it's in the news because all these stupid golfers, you know, these I could give two shits about golf or about these these asshole self-righteous, you know, prick golfers running around with their egos thinking they're so great. You know, I'm going to give $200 million to Phil Mickelson. I could give two shits about Phil Mickelson. Okay, I don't care about him. But this is in the news right now because of people like him and because he's, he's basically giving a lap dance to Saudi Arabia for $200 million, which I think is disgusting. If you want my my real feelings on it, um, you know, no amount of money can can wash away what happened and their involvement. No matter what the media says or what these athletes say, they're uh, you know, this is who they're getting in bed with. So it's in the news right now, you know. Yeah, you know, incidentally enough, you bring up Phil Mickelson. By the way, Phil Mickelson, I want to say in January or February of this year, uh, was talking with um. Um, the uh, Sports Illustrated uh, writer, senior writer, uh, Alan Shipnuck. I, I'm, I hope I'm saying his last name right. And basically, he was very critical of Saudi Arabia. 
And Nicholson what was? was was that and I'll if I you know what I'll I'm going to bring up the link because I want to make a direct this is huge at the time. He basically said, "quote scary motherfuckers to be involved with regarding mm -hmm. Saudi Arabia and the human rights record." He questioned about That's the right. Yemen war. He then I what I think happened was he got enormous backlash from the kingdom. And they're very powerful. Like I said, they're the richest lobby that you won't hear of inside the United States, more so than Israel. And they, the NRA put, put together. And he said that his comments have been taken out of context. And in return, in I, I, in the summer, of, I, I, what, what, June, July, he announced, um, what's his name, uh, Nor Norman, uh, Greg Norman, I think, announced that Mickelson would actually play in the first uh, live event in London, and the contract was as you, you, you uh, Scott, with two hundred million dollars. Mm. Money talks, yeah. like John Gold said earlier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, right. All talk is John, uh, John, John said. Wow. I mean, um, yeah. Imagine if the Saudis approached us, or like, we want you to do a podcast for us, and just be, you know, this is what you're going to say, and you know, and they flash you all that cash. You know, of course, it's it's. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're talking about something that that you know all these people died, and it's still having such a such an impact on our world that it's you know it's still important, it's still relevant, and um, it, you know that these questions beg to be answered now more than ever, really. Right, and what when and John Gold brought up something very important just before uh, was that each passing year, 9/11 will become more distant. What I'm hoping to do with my small channel, as it is is try to bring a rational, sane voice to actual conspiracies involving 9-11. Um, but, oh, Drywall all says I'm monetized. No. Are you monetized? On no, I'm not. And I won't be either. I refuse to take any type of donation or money. Um, I, 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 I gleefully and uh, would love to spread information with the public on my own endeavor. And, it you know, it doesn't take more than 10, 12 minutes. I do a video. Yeah, that's nothing. I don't want to be paid yeah. for that. Uh, for people like Ryan Dawson and Nelson Martins, they do film and they do real work, leg work. You know, they, they, yeah, they monetize them for sure. Fun I think, I think but, you should be monetized, Adam. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to disagree with you on that because you are providing a service and you are doing it out of your own pocket and off your own spine. And, um, Eric and I with Jackman Radio have produced everything basically out of our own pocket the last seven years. And I'm, we've only started to get, uh, we, we have a, um, a Patreon, and we have we are monetized on YouTube, but we're not we're not looking to get rich off this. I just want this to be able to sustain itself, so I can continue producing good quality videos and good quality research that really does take time to suss out. Right, um, but it's different. You you guys are a legit platform. I'm not. I'm just a guy in a room and basically sharing information. No, and I I, I would disagree with you, Adam. I think you are legit. Stop. Just because you weren't there with me when Marcos declared martial law and took all the guns. In the Philippines doesn't mean you weren't in the shit with me because you were. Sorry, Jesse, but um, yeah, no, you know, I, when I when I started this road in 2006, one promise I made to myself was that I would never ask for money regarding information I share, and I'll live up to that as long as I can and as long as I keep doing this. And you know what? You know, uh, like I said, I'm not a legit platform. I'm a regular guy. You know, I have a job, and you know, I do this out of my own room, and I don't think what I'm doing is any type of effort. Regarding like yourself or Ryan or Nelson, that you guys are a legit platform and you guys put a lot more work than I could do ever do. And, you know, I used to use Movie Maker, for God's sakes, you know, to edit my video. So hey, that's like no big deal for me, man. It's getting the good information out there that I think is yeah. so important. And I think now 
in our society and in our short attention span culture, trying to get it out there in a way that's like bite size or, or a way for people to understand, I think, is the next threshold or the next way to to uh, move on in the in the information war, the info war, as Alex Jones calls it. It, it is an info war. It is. Right. Right. And there's a lot of bad info out there, though, Adam. You know oh what I mean? God. It's worse. It's worse now than it ever was. In fact, I'm glad you brought this up because this is exactly what I saw in the Ukraine crisis. Immediately, almost immediately, we saw a narrative of reporting from the State Department. Immediately, we saw fringe conspiracies almost overnight. It was almost a wash. And I said, this will only get worse in time. As with each crisis that comes along after COVID, it will become worse and worse and worse. And what this does is twofold. One, it helps the State Department. And two, it, it at the same time, it disinforms the public coming from reputable so-called truth or narratives, whatever, whatever truth narrative that me or whatever group that exists. And what they'll use is platforms like Twitter or Facebook or whatever, whatever uh, polarizing uh, website is at the time. Well, it'll be a wash in disinformation. And it doesn't yeah. have to come from the CIA. It'll just come from the people in general because you're listening from two narratives, a left and right narrative. Mm -hmm. And like I said, between that narrative is the truth. And it always is. But the time that you have to discern what is true or not is what's important because everyone else has marriages or two jobs they're juggling and don't have the prerequisite time to discern what is true and what is not. So they just go with the narrative that's portrayed and think, oh, that, that, sounds, that sounds about right. But at the time, it's not. And you're disinformed. And you're, you, you could believe whatever, like I said, you could believe whatever you want. But do you know something? Yeah, and that's what hoping to provide. And that's what, you know, makes your platform so enormously valuable. Jackman Radio or Liberty Lockdown, Liberty Week. Thank you. Yeah. you know, um, what Reed's doing, yeah. yeah right. Reed Coverdale. And he, look, he's banned, you know. Look, these people I will always support and always show support because we need more people like this. And that's why I said people who follow me, I don't want you to just follow me. I want you to create your own content from what you learn. Yeah. You're the leader. You're the teacher. I don't want you to be a student. You're a teacher now. Go you start. Do. You start doing it. You yeah. You do it. That's you right. do it. Every, right. Everyone's an armchair critic, and it's like okay, you do it. Right. Exactly. I like I said, it's fine if you want. If you want to be like a content creator and just make money off this, then that's fine for you. What I would want for my followers, and there's not many, but I would want. I want them to be content creators and share information. Mm -hmm. And like I said, you could. That's how you build a movement. And you can't build a movement of followers. You just. You know, well, you want to put out good information. It's not my work. I'm just showing uh, recorded information. That's all. But if we could get enough people to put to trade the truth, whether it's Ukraine or COVID or 9-11, hey, we can make a real difference then. But until I, we get enough people behind it, we can't do anything. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And, and, and I'm always I always try to put out the best information on all those subjects that you just mentioned. And yeah. Um, everything, you know, I've had Robbie Martin on to talk about anthrax. He made an amazing documentary about oh, the whole anthrax yeah, deal. That, the, the, the anthrax story is so grossly misunderstood and underreported. And it's such a, in my opinion, such a key component of the whole 9-11 deal. Um, that's just not even really, you know, often talked about or, or factored in. So, I mean, there's, there's tons of subjects, man. It, it, it's endless, but. Um, you know, that podcast basically is the best podcast I've ever heard about anthrax. And it just, it was, uh, was it six hours or something like that? It, oh. it was enormous. It was phenomenal. And, you know, I've, I've interviewed Robbie Martin. It's one of my favorite uh, interviews I've ever done. 
he's such a, you know, when you, when you get talking with him, it's just like, it's so, uh, there's almost like a good symmetry between you and Bobby Martin. When he did that podcast, it was one of the best podcasts I ever heard. I think it's the second best 9-11 related podcast I ever heard. Number one is Who is Rich Bully by Ray Nowitzki. That's the best podcast I've ever yeah. heard. Yeah. Oh, Noah Shelsky and um, yeah. uh, he worked with, you know, Kyle Hentz? Yeah. Oh, uh, Kyle, 9-11, No Citizens Watch. Sure. Yeah. That's the really good information. It's not as glossy or sexy, but it's so it's it's so uh, it's so um, you know on the nose and so meaty, and, and there's just so much there um, that proves the official story wrong, and that shows that we've been lied to. Um, but you just don't hear about it a lot, like you're saying, from the the quote unquote truth movement or the official um, you know mainstream narrative. So you know they got in trouble for that, and it, that's what made it so profound journalism on. Ray Nolowiski's and John Duffy's part is that when they wrote the book, Night Love, uh, Watch Dogs Didn't Bark, mm -hmm. they made that podcast, I think in 2010, 2009, I'm, I'm off by a year. They were the first people in the world to find out who was the replacement for Michael Shoy at Alex Station mm -hmm. and the person who ran the Yemen uh, operation, Michelle Ann Casey. And he named them by names, Richard Blee, Michelle Ann Casey. It was not public anywhere in the world. They, they did it. He broke that story. That's why I said that was the most important podcast ever about related to 9-11 attacks, pre-intelligence. Enormous. And basically, the CIA basically told them, don't publish our names. And they did it anyway. That's it was ballsy. Oh, yeah. Geez. Was that the one where they had Richard Clark basically saying he thought that they were trying to yeah. flip a couple of the hijackers? Yeah. Yeah. Dude. Huge. Huge. I mean, they had, Thomas they had Keene reading some of the... Did they get keen to sit down? Oh, I don't know if they did. I don't know if that's true or not. But um, I'm, yeah, I can't comment on that. Like, but the interview with Richard Clark at the time, oh, there was because Clark basically never talks about it, and they got to interview him. Yeah. And yeah, that's that's what that was enormous at the time, and basically talking about Alex Station, which nobody ever talks about, and that's why I reached out to Mark Rossini. I'm glad he, you know, he did with it, but to get. Anybody working in that pre-intelligence 9-11, good luck. Because it's hardly, they hardly ever talk. Meanwhile, some of these people do want to talk. Well, I was just about to say that, Adam. You know what? These people who do work for our alphabet agencies and for the military, for the government, for the CIA, most of them are actually they're good people. They're, they're patriots. They believe in America. They, they want to combat terrorism. They want the safety of our country. That's their best interest. Um, but there's things in place that prevent them from being a whistleblower or from talking about negligence or um, something being squashed by a higher up for fear of retribution. That all exists. That exists in any sector, whether it be education or government or private, um, you know, you know anything. And um, I think maybe some of them seeing the, the the information that's out there in the research community you know, will will cause some of them to come forward with the piece of the puzzle that they have or the information that they have. So that's why I think there's value in doing podcasts like we're doing here today on a Sunday, you know, at yeah. five o'clock, you know, Eastern time um, with a couple beers, cracking beers as uh, drywall. Cheers to you, drywallo. But we're coming up on two hours, Adam. Uh, what, what do you uh, what do you got that you're working on or coming out with next that you want to uh, um, actually, um, I'm going to be interviewing John Kiriakou Friday, and uh, we're going to be talking about, you know, his uh, investigation or his whistleblowing, actually, into 
the CIA torture program, rendition and torture program, um, his time at the CIA, and uh, Alex Station, uh, for example, what 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 he knew. I mean, he didn't work out of Alex Station, but he knew certain players within Alex Station. I do would like to speak on that for a little bit. I wrote an article not too long ago. I haven't wrote an article in five months, and I posted on Medium about uh, it was entitled uh, "Compendium of Deception and Conspiracy." Uh, the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks, where there's actually a happy medium. I hate to use that phrase, but there's a medium, as I alluded to in this uh, earlier in this talk, where you have a State Department narrative and the fringe conspiracies, right? But mm -hmm. in the in between is the truth, and we can know the truth, but we have to discern what is fact from fiction and what is to be believed and what is to be known. And I hope in that article, which is you know it takes about 20 minutes to read, um, we you know I can get the person into who, who's investigating 9-11 to discern what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is not. And that was the whole basis of the article about. Um, in terms of like any future projects, no, not really. Um, I've been um, taking a break here and there now. I'm like trying to, you know, good. if you just keep concentrating on an issue, it basically drives you nuts. Uh, so I don't want yeah. that to happen. You're gonna have fun too, man. Have a couple. Of, I don't know. Do you, do you right. drink, or you don't have to answer I have, that? I haven't drank in like six years. I, the last time oh. I drank, I had a headache, and good for you. I was like, forget it. But then again, it was yeah. Johnny Walker Blue Label. So <laughs> wow, it Johnny Walker Blue Label. Yeah, Johnny Walker Blue Label straight. Yeah, that's good stuff. You know, IBM, one more uh, here from uh, Must Support, Mike, Eric, Adam, Reed, and Ryan. Thank you, IV Denmark. We really appreciate your support. Um, if you do like what we do on Jackman Radio and you and you find value in it and information, we do have a Patreon. Um, you know, like I said earlier, uh, we're not looking to, like, profit from this information or get rich. But in order to buy, like, this microphone right here was purchased from our patrons. And, and we sound better as a result of that. So, and also your studio, too. I, you know. And, and oh. yeah, exactly. We, uh, Jacqueline Radio, we are going to be moving into a studio space in September. There'll be some more information uh, coming on that. We um, we've alluded to it the last couple months, but we, we it's it's going through. It's going to happen. So, if you guys want to see this information reach a bigger audience and look more professional, sound more professional. I mean, the information speaks for itself. But like we're saying, if you can present it on a platform or in a way that's more um, presentable or amenable to the masses, um, then I think it's a good thing. And that's what your support does. So um, if you do want to support us, we are on Patreon. Um, I'm also on uh, buymeacoffee.com. And that's uh, it's similar to Patreon. It's basically, Adam, it's like a tip, a yeah, tip I'm, thing. I'm just going to ask you that. What is that, by the way? Because I, I keep hearing about it. Yeah, so if, if, if I if I do a podcast or I go on someone's podcast, they can put buymeacoffee.com, and if people like the information or they think it was it was good, they can just give you five bucks, ten bucks, fifteen bucks, whatever. You don't have to sign up. It's not a recurring thing like Patreon. It can be a one-time deal. It, it can be a recurring thing, um, but it's uh, Jason Burmis uses that as well, and I know you have your disagreements uh, certainly with him about various aspects of 9-11, but... Um, yeah, so we have that, and uh, just as I, uh, that's just as you put, I became a subscriber to your Patreon account. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's very I, kind I want, of you. Because I want you to succeed anyway, and I, we, need, I, like I said, we need more. We need more people like you. We do. I, 
I really appreciate that. And, and, and um, I hope our audience can see that our hearts are really in the right place with this. And it's not right. about making money. It's, this is a passion. This is, um, it's a, um, as William Rodriguez called it, it's a mission, you know, I mean, but it's, uh, it's what we think about and talk about all the time. And it's, it's, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's other channels. If you want to hear about golf, if you want to hear the pro Saudi uh, golf version you can go, you can watch MSNBC or whatever, and you can watch whatever you want. But if you like the, you like the information that we present here, you know from our great researchers like Adam Fitzgerald and Ryan Dawson, and John Gold, who I, I hope to have back on. And thanks again, John, for coming on short notice. John is an invaluable resource and tool with respect to 9/11, and it's just has really uh, been with the cause for a long time. So he is originally one of the uh, oldest. Uh, still contact creators regarding 9-11. And he comes from a peak before the fringe conspiracy. He's been doing this for uh, 20, 19, 20 years. It's just a long time. A long time. Absolutely. So and I, anybody here, I would absolutely recommend subscribing to him on YouTube. Yeah. And he, he had a great podcast series called We Relied To About 9-11. And he actually got Paul Thompson to come on and he got um, – he got uh, Senator Bob Graham to come on. I mean, he's, he's done some amazing work. So, yeah. well, hey, Adam, it was great to have you on, man. I really appreciate it. We'll do it again soon, I hope. Yeah, thank you very much, Mike, for having me on. All right. And thank you, everybody, for watching and listening. Um, we are on Spotify. We're at jackmanradio.podbean.com, of course, here on YouTube. And we will see you next time.